My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website at hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Today we're going to do something a little bit different this Christmas season. As you can see, we have like the candles and stuff. Um, Never done that before. Uh, I'd never even heard of the word Advent really um, until we kind of moved here honestly. Like, I mean, I heard the word, but I didn't really understand what it, what it was. Like the term Advent to me was kind of associated with, um, like, uh, kind of traditional, like, um, churches, you know, uh, like if they were going to celebrate Advent, like I automatically put them in the category of like, you know what I'm saying? So like, I kind of was like, I don't know like really what that means. I just know that I've never been a part of it ever. Uh, and so like, um, that wasn't any specific denomination, by the way. I'm just, that was just that. But, uh, so if you took it a different way, then that's on you. Um, but like, I just, I just have never been, a, I've heard of churches that have, uh, but I just haven't ever done it. Um, and uh, and kind of as I started to hear the word, um, I kind of started to uh, dig into it a little bit. I was like, what's this about? What's this whole Advent thing about, right? Um, and it's actually very, very deeply rooted uh, in tradition. It is. And I think that's why maybe I've avoided it so much because I'm not real big on just doing things in church because of tradition, like just because it's always been done that way. Um, that's just not something that I think is okay because I think that a lot of times we can put traditions ahead of scripture. We can put traditions ahead of God, like what he's actually asked us to do and what he wants us to do. And traditions can kind of become an idol, really. And, and so I, you know, whenever I associated kind of Advent, I was like, oh, that's just part of like kind of a dead, you know, like, like religion that's not really part of anything. Like they've probably just done it forever. It doesn't mean anything anymore. But if you think about it, anything can become like that. I'm sure whenever Advent first started and whenever it kind of first came on the scene and people started, you know, celebrating and saying, you know what, let's put a theme to this. Let's talk about, let's talk about this Advent thing because Advent means coming, right? And so let's, let's talk about the Advent, the coming of Christ. And I'm sure that whoever that was was like, you know what, I want to honor God with this. I want to honor God with every part of this, but the problem is, is that it just kind of becomes monotonous and it kind of becomes this thing that everybody kind of expects during Christmas. Oh, we're just going to go. We're going to, so I don't know if you come from that background where you guys celebrated Advent. I don't know. I don't even really know how necessarily it's celebrated uh, so much in other churches. I just know from the research I've done, I've kind of picked it out and just said, you know what, this is kind of where I think we need to, we need to go for this season. And so kind of taking a break from Corinthians uh, that we've been in and just going for, uh, just trying this out and seeing um, what God does through this. So I've been praying for this service. I've been praying for this season and uh, hopefully the Lord uses this, um, you know, in a very great way uh, in your life. All right. And so if you guys see up here, um, you, we've got this uh, beautiful wreath that my wife has put together with these amazing candles that are right there as well. And only one is uh, lit right now because that is the first candle of Advent. And if you guys notice, there are five. There are only four Sundays between now and Christmas, but there's five candles. 
And the reason that we have five candles is because the middle one represents Christ, and it will be lit on Christmas Eve whenever we have our Christmas Eve service. And so we're going to go around, and we're going to light one every single week. And this week uh, is about hope. So that candle represents hope. Uh, it's also known as the prophecy candle as well, uh, because it's all about the hope of the coming of Christ. And hopefully um, you caught that theme kind of in the music today about, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. You guys know what Emmanuel means? God with us, right? So Emmanuel means God with us. And if you can imagine like the Old Testament people saying, saying, God, you know, we're waiting. We're anxiously hoping for the coming of Christ, the coming of the Messiah. And so that's kind of the first advent that was really ever um, observed, whether it was officially observed or not. Uh, it was the first advent that was observed because they're waiting on the coming of Christ and they waited a long time. And we're actually in the same season now waiting for the second coming of Christ, just like Olivia prayed about earlier. Like we are waiting in anticipation and in the hope of a coming Messiah who's going to come back and who's going to rescue us so that we don't have to, as she beautifully said, uh, so that we don't have to, to, to rescue, wrestle with sin anymore. So we don't have to wrestle with the fallenness of this world. Uh, he's coming back. And that is just a really amazing thing. Um, the other uh, topics that we're going to cover over the next couple of weeks. So we've got the hope of Christ here. Um, we also have the peace of Christ that we're going to talk about next week. The joy of Christ we're going to talk about the week after that. And then the love of Christ. And then again, uh, the, last, um, the last candle is going to be the light of Christ. And we're going to talk about that on Christmas Eve, all right? Um, and so uh, I already told you the Advent uh, means arrival or coming, all right? And, um, and so, uh, so it's something that you hope for. And, and it's, it's, it's specifically Christ that we hope for, his arrival and his coming. But one thing I want to talk about today specifically is the word hope. I want to look into scripture. I want to dig in. Let's find out what that really means. And as I've studied this word, as I've kind of looked in even deeper, I kind of had an idea of what hope was. Uh, but but just doing this, this study has just solidified it in my heart. It's just an amazing thing. And so I want to take you on the journey that God has taken me on as I've looked at this word. So what is hope exactly? All right. So uh, today people would describe it as anxiously and excitedly awaiting something that may or may not happen, all right? It may or may not happen. It's more synonymously used with the word wish, right? That's kind of the way hope is used today. Like, I hope um, that I get a good grade, right? I hope that I get the promotion that I, I'm, I'm wanting to get. I hope that I get the job that I want to get. I hope that our team wins, Right? We say hope all the time uh, about certain things. I experienced that type of hope last night. I don't know if you guys caught, um, I don't know if anybody in here is a fan or even following like college football. All right. But yesterday was crazy because it was like all the rivalries. And, uh, and so it's always like one of the most exciting weeks is the Saturday after Thanksgiving because you have all the rivalries. Now, us being from Oklahoma originally, uh, my favorite team is the Oklahoma State Cowboys, all right? Not OU, all right? Oklahoma Sooners, that's not, that's not my team. Um, I will root for them if, like, they're not playing OSU. But, uh, but I say that. I really won't. They really kind of irked me a little bit. But, but like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. It just, it just happens. 
But but last night, um, look, OU whips up on OSU every year. All right. Like I was trying to explain to my my son yesterday. We're like we're like talking about it. And he's like, when's the last time OSU won? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Actually, it's been a, it's been a minute. I, I said, I think it's in Ellie's lifetime. She's eight. <laughs> all right. I said, I'm pretty sure it's in her lifetime. Um, but this year, like, as I was saying, like I, I said a couple of weeks ago, like it's the, the team is doing well. We have like, we're like 10 and one. And so it's like, man, we're going into it. This is our chance. This is our moment. And let me tell you, I don't know if anybody caught the game last night, but it was like, I almost had a heart attack because of all the turnovers, all the, everything that was happening. And we ended up winning, but I, and I, my, my hopes came true. Right. And I, so I experienced that worldly hope, like, oh, on. but there was no assuredness to that hope. Like it was just, it may happen. It may not happen. And that's kind of how the world kind of talks about hope. But Christian hope is a little bit different. One of my favorite uh, movies growing up was Back to the Future. All right. Um, and in those movies, uh, you've got uh, Biff. Right. And Biff is how many of you guys have never seen Back to the Future? Not seen a one of them. Okay, all right. So this will, most of you will get this in there. So you got Biff, like this guy is the, let's say he's like the, uh, the, the bad guy in the movie, all right? Um, and so uh, what happens is like in the second one, you know, he decides to uh, kind of go to the future. He steals the DeLorean, which is a time machine, and he goes to the future and then he finds what's called a sports almanac, okay? It's something that kind of Marty threw away, and he's like, man, I'm going to grab this sports almanac. I'm going to go back in time to 1955, and I am going to give myself back then this sports almanac because I will become rich if he has, if I have all of the scores in history of games. So he's counting on the fact that he's going to be able to go, and he's going to be able to bet on everything. And so as the movie progresses, all of a sudden, Biff is like the richest person in the, in like the United States, maybe the world, I have no idea. And it's all because he goes back and he gives himself this sports almanac, right? And so now all of a sudden, hope is a little bit different, all right. Hope in a, in a team kind of there, there's, it kind of becomes more of an assured thing because he kind of has this almanac that tells him exactly who is going to win. So the hope is more of an assured thing, right? And see, I want to use this as an example, even as silly as it is, because that kind of describes what Christian hope is. It's, it's, I know we don't have like a sports almanac or anything necessarily, but more than that are the promises of God who was yesterday, today, and forever. And so we have the exact assuredness, the same assuredness as if, as if it's already over, as if it's already done. We already know exactly what God's promises are, and we know that he provides. We know that he shows us those promises. And uh, while worldly hope has no guarantee or security, Christian hope does. Worldly hope has no guarantee. It has no security. But Christian hope does. Worldly hope carries with it a measure of doubt, but biblical hope has no concept of doubt at all. There are several words in the Old Testament for hope. There are several words in the New Testament for hope as well. And, and whenever it's used it's describing the promises of God, there is no hint of doubt to that word. Like it, it's, it's so, it is going to happen. It is absolutely going to happen. There is that. And I like this definition that Rachel has put up on the screen right here. It says this, Biblical hope is a confident expectation or assurance based upon a sure foundation 
for which we wait with joy and full confidence. I love that. A sure foundation, right? It's, it's a confident expectation. I don't know how confident you are in some of your expectations, whether maybe you're going to get a new job, maybe you're worried about what your future is, you know, how confident is your expectation that those things are going to happen? It's probably up in the air, right? Because you don't really know. But the thing about biblical hope, anytime that hope is mentioned in the Bible, it is a confident expectation or assurance based upon a sure foundation. What's wrong with the other hope? The other hope doesn't have a sure foundation. The hope of Christ, the hope of the biblical hope has a sure foundation. And I love it because it says, which we wait with joy and fun confidence. I don't really think that's the word. It's a good time. <laughs> it's full confidence. All right. But uh, my bad. That's my typo. But confidence is fun as well whenever you have it. <laughs> all right. But here's the thing. Israelites, they waited for the prophesied Messiah, right? Was there any doubt that the Messiah was going to come? No. Why? Because of the foundation of who made the promise, right? So they didn't have any worry at all, right? The foundation was God himself. And so the Israelites and all who knew the prophecies were given the gift of waiting with joy and full confidence, aka fun confidence, so Christ is coming again, right? Christ is coming again. And how do I know this? Because of the sure foundation of the person who said it. Because it's an absolute sure foundation of the promise, right? Every prophecy before has come true. And this is next on the list. And so we wait with joy and we wait with confidence. That should be our heart behind things. But I wonder if we carry that biblical hope in or if we actually use worldly hope whenever we're talking about God, whenever we anxiously await the fulfillment of his promises in our lives. What do we, what do we hope? With what kind of hope do we wait? Is it a confident hope or is it not? And I would dare say that, that the way we react to things will show us whether or not we have a worldly hope in the things of God or we have a confident hope, a biblical hope in the things of God. Um, and so uh, I want to talk about a scripture real quick in Romans chapter 15, 13, all right? Um, and this is what it says. You guys can read along with me. Uh, you can open your Bible to it as well, Romans 15, 13. But this is what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So we're going to break this down just for a little bit, all right? So Paul in this moment, He's speaking to, you know, the church in Rome, and he has been telling them all kinds of things. He's basically been laying out theology. He's like, God is this. This is God. Christianity is this. And then he pauses for a moment right in the middle of uh, chapter 15, and he just, he just voices this prayer. He just voices this prayer that he has right here, and then he just stops, and he, he just, you can almost picture, he just says, you know what? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. His desire for them in this moment is hope. He wants them to experience the hope that comes from Christ, from knowing Christ, from trusting God, right? So let's talk about this for a second. It says, may the God of hope. Now, if you are the God of something, what does that mean? It means that you are Lord of it. You are in charge of it, right? It means that you have dominion over it, control over it. You are the master 
of it, right? The God of the universe. What does that mean? He, cre he created it, right? He controls it. He's got full dominion over the universe. And it also means, though, uh, if, if he is the God of something, like the God of love, right? That means that he also embodies what that is. So he is love. God is the definition of love, right? So whenever we see this word, he says, may the God of hope. What does that mean? Well, he not only embodies hope. Think about this just for a second. He is also the master of hope. He is the creator of hope. He is the God of hope, right? And that's a really big deal. That means he controls it. It means he has full dominion over hope. I don't know if we've ever thought about that before, but the only reason that we even have hope in the world is because God has given that to us as a gift, something that we need, right? And so he is the God of hope. And, and look what he says here. May the God of hope, the God who has the ability to give you hope, the ability to take away hope, any of that, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, right? So he's saying fill you with all joy and all peace that comes with believing. Believing what? Believing what is absolutely true. Believing what is absolutely sure. And you know what that is? It's everything written in the word of God. Believing it. If you believe and God brings you on this path to you believe everything that's written in the word of God, do you know what? You will receive all joy and all peace. And it's the God of hope that actually gave that to you, right? And so why does he pray for them to receive the joy and peace in believing the word of God? Listen to what it says. So that so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now listen to this. He is saying basically here, he's saying, I want you to hear, Paul is telling, telling that church in Rome, I want you to hear this word. I want you to love this word. I want you to study this word. I want you to gain confidence in this word. And I want you to believe this word. I want you to experience the joy and the peace that come from that confident belief, which is a gift by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that you may, does it say have a little hope? No. Does it say so that you might have hope? No. It says so that you will what? Abound in hope abound in hope. All right. That word abound. I love it. That word abound is the word parasuo in the Greek. All right. And I love this meaning. Check this out. It's the excess after needs were met. The excess after needs were met. In other words, it's more than you need. So the hope that God wants to give us, the hope that he wants to give to the entire world right? Through the confidence of his word, the joy and the peace that come from his word. He wants to give us not just the hope that we need. He wants us to give us hope so that we are absolutely filthy rich in hope. That's what he wants to do. And I love that about our God because I don't know about you, but I need hope in my life. I need something to hope for. And he has given us not only what we need, he's given us an excess of what we need. All right. We just need to believe it. We just need to chase it, right? Listen to this quote, and maybe you can identify with this. Man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. That's coming from a secular mind. That's coming from a mind that doesn't have anything to do with God, 
That's coming just from somebody in their own wisdom sitting there and going, you know what? I need the most hope because as soon as I lose hope, then I lose life. And that's what, he, that's what that person is saying there. And, and, then, and then here we have the God of hope saying, I won't just give you a little bit of hope. I won't just kind of dangle a carrot in front of your face so that you have something to chase. He's like, no, I, I will make you rich in hope so that you will never have to ever live without hope, right? Do you know what a person can do for the kingdom who is rich in hope? It's rhetorical, but let's find out. Let's find out. That's what we can do and that's what we need to do. And that's what one of my missions is going to be is, is knowing that I'm rich in hope, figuring out where I'm placing my hope, putting it on Christ and then seeing what I can do for the kingdom whenever I have a hope that never, ever, ever fades. Now, and I realize this is easier said than done. Uh, and maybe you're sitting here going, Greg, that's great. Like these are all like great ideas. Um, and I understand that God has this hope for me, uh, but what do I do with this? Like how, what, like how do I, how do I make this tangible, right? If you're rich in money, well, you just go and you spend your money. You can put your hands on the money, but how do you, how do you, how do you t tangibly grab a hold of hope? right? Well, let's talk about it just for a second. How can we access a wealth of hope? Well, number one, all right, and write this down because if you, wanna ch if you want that hope, if you want to chase after that hope, then remember this, write this down, whatever you have to do. Number one, you have to know the word of God. Knowing the word of God. If you don't know the word of God, then the only thing you're ever going to have is a worldly hope. And even a worldly hope in God, that's all you're ever going to have. It's never going to be a secure hope, right? Because we spend time in his word. What do we find in his word? That's where we learn his promises. That's where we know them. And if we don't study them, then we don't know them. We don't know what promises to cling to. We have no idea. And so studying the word, knowing the word, learning his promises. And again, this isn't just a Sunday thing, all right? You can't, you can't expect to live with an abundant hope if all you're doing is knowing him and getting to know him and getting to know his promises one time a week. It's not going to work. So you have to spend a substantial amount of time uh, in his word. And for me personally, that's an everyday thing that I have to chase. An everyday thing. And the more time I spend with him, it's funny how this works. The more time that I spend with him, here's what I realize I have. More joy, more peace, more hope. The more time. Now, whenever I get away from him and whenever I go through a season of dryness where I'm just not really spending much time with him, what starts to dwindle? My joy, my peace, my hope. It starts to dwindle. It's funny how that happens, right? He is the God of hope after all. And then number two, so know the word of God. That's how we can tangibly grab a hold of this hope. Uh, but number two, remove any and all hope from that which is temporary and place it on that which is eternal. Take your hope off the things that are temporary and put it on the things that are eternal, right? The first eternal place that anybody should put their hope is in the work of Christ on the cross. If you try to go through this life, all right, on your own, if you try to go through, you, through this life trying to get right with God based on the good things that you do, God, I went to church. God, I, 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 you know, prayed. Lord, I was in, um, I was in your word. 
God, and so, you know, I, I helped an old lady across the street. Lord, I, I was given, I gave a dollar to the homeless guy. I, I let somebody in, um, you know, uh, I, I bought somebody's fare for the train and, and let them in because they were looking for it. Look, that kind of stuff is great, but that's a product of grace. That's not how you gain grace, all right? That's not how you gain forgiveness. You're not just born, if you were born in a, in a, in a Christian family, that doesn't mean that you were born a Christian, right? Just because you come to church doesn't mean that you are a Christian, right? And so the thing that we have to put our hope in very, very first is the cross of Christ, the Christ's work on the cross for us on our behalf. That means there has to be a time in your life where you stand before God and you look up to him as his, as, as, as beneath him, as subject to him, as submitted to him. And you look to him and you say, God, I need your grace, God, I can't do any of this on my own. I trust that Christ dying on the cross has freed me from my sins and I wanna put my faith and trust in that. And I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to be before you in this and I wanna follow you after, I wanna follow after you. I don't wanna be in charge of my life anymore. I want you to be in charge of my life. I wanna follow you, God, I place my trust in you. I placed my hope in you. That's the first eternal thing that we need to place our hope in because Guys, if we're honest, we place a lot of hope in things that are not eternal, right? And what happens whenever we do that? Man, we go on this emotional roller coaster, right? Because if it doesn't happen, man, everything's just rock bottom is where you hit, right? If you put your hope in that. Like, I'm saying this, like, you can't put your hope in the church. You can't put your hope in another Christian. You can't put your hope in me as a pastor. You can't do that. You can't put your hope in your job. You can't put your hope in your spouse. You can't put your hope in your kids. You can't put your hope in your parents. Like you can't put your hope in anything that is not eternal, anything that is temporary. Because why? Because that kind of stuff is the hope that does not have a sure foundation. It's a rocky foundation. And if you put your hope in those kinds of things and you walk around and, and, and all of your emotions ride on that kind of hope, then you are never going to be a stable person. You're always going to be swaying back and forth and back and forth. And you're never going to, you're going to be, you're going to have so many highs. You're going to have so many lows. And, and there are going to be seasons of your life where you just feel terrible. And there's going to be seasons in your life where you're just like, wow, everything is going great. That's because your hope is on things that are temporary and not eternal. Do you know what happens whenever you put your hope in things that are eternal? Everything stays perfect. Everything stays. And whenever something happens, Whenever you lose a job, whenever you, uh, you know, whenever you lose, even God forbid, lose a family member, your hope is not rocked because it's not in those things. Your hope is in eternal things. Your hope is in the promises of God. Your hope is in Jesus Christ himself. Your, your eternity is secure. You know that everything's going to be okay, right? And that's where we need to play it. Place our, our hope is in Christ and on and on his promises, right? Again, we said the number one thing, the promise of salvation, but also listen to this. The promise of provision, the promise of God providing for you. I love the scriptures where it's like, hey, like this is how I read it to myself. Hey, dummy, like why are you worried about what you're gonna eat? Why are you worried about like how you're gonna be provided for? Like 
do I not take care of the birds? Do I not take care, like, look at the flower and how it's clothed in all its brilliance. Do I not provide for the flower? And then again, I hear in my head, hey, dummy, why do you think I'm not going to provide for you, my child? I am going to provide for you. But here's the thing. Whenever I put my hope, not in the promises of his provision, but I put my hope in, the, in, in, in like providing for myself, well, then I go on a crazy emotional roller coaster. And everything is like, oh my goodness, if I have a job, if I don't have a job, if we get this support, if we don't have this support, like it's gonna be crazy. But why? Why would I ever feel like that? And here's what I hate to admit. Before every single one of you right now, I hate to admit how often I put my hope in myself. I do it all the time. And I love that God looks at me and he just, and he, I mean, he's, he's more loving. He doesn't call me dummy. I know. He's more loving than that. But, but he is going, hey, come on. I'm going to provide for you everything. You're going to be okay. Do you trust me? Is your hope in me? Is your hope in yourself? So the hope of provision, the promise of provision. But, but what about this also? Do we put our hope in the promise that God is good? Because sometimes I think we're rocked because we put our hope in the circumstances surrounding what, how we define God as good. I love, love so much whenever people post online and they're like, good my new car, hashtag God is good, right? You know what I want to do with every fiber of my being? I want to comment and be like, even if you didn't have a car, God is good. You know? It's like, oh, like, and even, even, and, and here's where, here's where it gets difficult though. We've recently had some friends who, uh, who went through a very, very hard time. Um, a friend of mine almost lost her husband to COVID. Like it was like their, their like last ditch efforts. Like it was over. Like doctors were like, it's over. And they were just calling for everybody to pray. And, uh, and man, I remember like this person doesn't even live in this state, but yet I was, I was on my knees and I was like, God, please, please save this person. And, uh, and, and it was like straight miracle. Like within two weeks, he was walking again off ventilators, like walking again. And man, we were fired up about it. But here's what I want to challenge you with. One of the posts that were said, was like, hey, he made a, he's making a full recovery. God is good. But can I just offer it to you real quick? If he had passed away, God is good. Because the goodness of God isn't relying upon circumstances. The goodness of God is because he says he's good. And he promised that he is good. And so no matter what happens in our life, if we put our hope in the temporary, then sometimes we're going we're gonna to be challenged to think that God is good. But if our hope is just in the fact that he is good, then we'll do well, even in the darkest of times that we could possibly even imagine, right? So the promise that he is working, right? All things for your good and for his glory. Pro like hoping in those things, a sure foundation of those things. Um, and uh, so one thing that I always try to remember, right? Because sometimes, again, I, I can think sometimes that, that God doesn't have my best interest at heart. That's not from him at all. Uh, that's from just something evil. Um, but here's something that I always remind myself, and maybe you can remind yourself of this. It's this, if I knew what God knows, I'd be giving myself the exact same thing. What is it that you're praying for? 
What is it that you've prayed for and you didn't receive and actually you received the opposite, right? Something that you didn't think was the best thing. Listen, if you know what God knows, you would be giving yourself the exact same thing. Why? Because it's good. And if I knew what God knows, I'd be taking away all the things that he takes away from me. Why? Because he's good. And I know that. And I put my hope in that. And so I can trust him in all things, right? And in a world that tries to kind of convince us that we know best, how many of you guys know that you don't know best? Right? We don't know best. We try to think we know best. We try to tell God how to run things, right? God, it is how I see it. So this would be the best thing for to happen, right? And in a world that tries to tell us that we know best, we've got to know that, no, we don't. And I think that's why I believe so much of the world is hopeless and miserable. It's because of the foundation that their hope in, is in, and it's completely unstable. It's a house that's built on sand, and their foundation is their own understanding. Do you guys want your foundation to be your own understanding or the omniscience of, of God, Right? We want it to be in the omniscience, omniscience of God, is all-knowingness, right? And, uh, and, so, and so people who put their hope in the other stuff, man, whenever troubles come, their, their hope is demolished, right? Because it's, on, it's, it's shaky, unstable ground, right? And so to close this out, I just want to bring up two more verses on hope, because in a minute we're going to uh, take communion together. Um, and, but I want to I bring these other two verses up to you super quick, which is Romans chapter 5, verse 4. It says this, hopefully there are no typos. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? That's completely opposite of what everybody else says. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame. It does not let us down. So, if we reverse engineer that real quick, all right? If we just reverse engineer that, listen to what it says. Hope is produced by godly character, okay? So in order to have hope, in order to have a biblical hope, it comes the most, the godlier your character becomes, the more hope that you are going to have, right? So hope is produced by godly character. So how do we develop godly character? Well, according to the word of God right here, it says endurance. We have to have endurance to, to, to produce godly character so that we can have as much hope as we possibly can and so that our hope can grow. And you can't have godly character without endurance. You can't have biblical hope without godly character. But how do we develop endurance? Well, it's a word that nobody likes. It's a word that everybody tries to avoid. Suffering. It's so opposite of everything that we think in our own minds. That's what I'm saying. Like the knowledge of us, the knowledge we have, the understanding that we have, we do not need to build a foundation based on our own understanding because we will run away from what is true. We will run away from what is good, right? My kids all the time, they try to convince me that they know what is good. And I love it whenever they're super young and they're like, no, this is good. And I, you know, who am you know, have lived longer, experienced more. I look at them and say, that's not good. And they'll throw a fit. It is good. And I'm like, no, it's not good. I promise. Go to your room. Like, you know, like stop arguing with me about these things. I promise that it's not good. I'm trying to protect you. Right. And kids hate hearing that. I hated hearing that whenever I was a kid. What do you mean you're protecting me? You're running on my butt. I hate you. Right. Not, that doesn't, that's not said, but it's like, you know, you kind of throw this fit. 
But man, that's God all the time. He's like, why are you trying to run away from suffering? Like you can't get away from it. Suffering is in this world. It is a product of a fallen world. There is going to be suffering. You cannot run away from it. And so you know what a good God does in a world that you can't get away from suffering? He decides to build hope out of it. That's what God does. And so whenever we go through suffering, man, we do not need to run the other way. We need to dig in and we need to say, God, through this suffering, I know what you're doing is building endurance in me. And as I gain endurance, I know that you're giving me a godly character more and more because I understand that you are good through the suffering, through the endurance. I know that you're developing a godly character in me. And the more your godly character is developed, the outcome is an abundance of hope. That's what we need. That's what, that's one way that we access this hope that he has, right? And it's cool because the more hope you have, the more faith you will have. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So this verse is saying the root of our faith is the confidence that we have in what we are hoping for. That's the root of our faith right there. And what are we hoping for? That everything we have been promised by God and his word will come to pass, all right? And by the way, faith produces obedience. So it's cool how it all works together. You give, you're given this foundation of hope that is a sure foundation because of who gives it, right? And because of that hope, what grows from that? Your own faith grows as well. It all goes together. Everything goes together and that's, and that's produces or that produces in our life obedience to him. Why? Because we trust him now. We don't longer run away from God and the things that he asks us to do. We chase after them because why? Our hope is secure. We're confident in him and we know that, that it's going to happen. His promises will be fulfilled. All right. Um, and so a lot of, a lot revolves around hope. A lot of it revolves around hope and thank God for the confident hope that we can have in him. So what, what do we do? All right, let's do some tangible things real quick. Uh, or let's just make a commitment to do some tangible things. All right. So, so I'm going to place this before you. You can do it. You cannot. I would suggest doing it. Um, number one, this week, actually, let's, let's just try it through this entire, well, start with this week, baby step, start with tomorrow. Okay. Start with tomorrow. I want you to try this increase the regularity that you are in the word of God. Increase the regularity that you're in the word of God, okay? Maybe you are in the word of God. Um, maybe you open your Bible and you're like, man, let's just be honest about things. I really open it like once, maybe every couple weeks or something like that, all right? Just increase that regularity. I'm not telling you what to do, just increase it. If you're somebody who is, you know, um, you're in the word, uh, you know, like every couple of days or so, try going to every single day. Increase that regularity. If you are in the word every single day, then just for this season of Advent, just for this season of, of now, then increase the regularity of that. Maybe, maybe open your Bible in the morning, see what God has for you. And then maybe before you go to bed, open it again and see what he has for you. Whatever it is, increase that regularity. Why? Because he's gonna build your hope in him. I promise he will do that. I will not let you down in this. Why? Because it's promise isn't based on me, it's based on this. All right. So I promise that that will happen. Um, man, and especially in a season where, uh, man, the enemies, I, I, we love Christmas. Don't get me wrong, but the enemy uses Christmas. All right. And a lot of times he'll remind you of what you don't have. 
He'll remind you of how good everybody else has it. And he'll remind you of how not good you have it, right? In certain things. And so the enemy wants to do that. It, it, the enemy also wants to, to bring your self-focus just inward, right? Where you, where you pity things, right? Because, you know, in the Christmas season, it's like, oh man, we have this pressure to like, you know, get people what they want and like presents and all this other kind of stuff. And what that does is subconsciously that turns us inward, but we need to fight that. And how can we fight that? Well, it's being more regularly in the word of God so that whenever those things that are not promises from him come by, we can just look them in the face and say, no, nah, not today, devil. Um, number two, here's what I want you to do as well. So increase the regularity that you're in the word of God. Number two, I want you to try this. Identify, write down misplaced hopes in your life currently. Okay. Something tangible that you can do. Maybe go home, meditate on some, maybe some things just straight entered your brain, you know, as soon as that was said. But go and look in and be honest before God and say, God, where am I placing my hopes that are not eternal? Where are my hopes being placed in the temporary? Where are my hopes? Write them down. If they're misplaced, write them down. Pray over them and just relinquish them to God. It's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's the hope of an outcome going like a specific way. Take your hopes off the temporary and place them on the eternal, all right? And here's what I would say. Those are, those are for people who are, who are Christians, who, are, who have what I you know, talked about earlier. You've, you've given your life to Christ. There's a moment in your life where you say, God, I, I'm turning from sin and I'm, I'm following you. But if you're in this room and you've never done that, like if you're just hoping that your good works are going to save you, if you're hoping that, you know, just kind of the occasional prayer and the occasional nod to God and because you believe in God, you're going to be saved. Don't ever forget the scripture that says the demons believe in shudder. All right. So even the, even the demons believe in God and they believe in him with their whole heart. The devil believes in God with his whole heart. So it's not just belief that's going to get you into heaven. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way that you get that relationship is by putting your hope in him. It's by repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in Jesus. So if you've never done that, and that's not something you're born with, let me just reiterate that. If you've never done that, then I want to challenge you to start right there. And say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life and start there. All right. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.